0: This morning we're reading from Romans 11, continuing our, our trek through Romans. Uh, mm-hmm. We're going to do a little bit of a breakup, so it's going to be verses one and two, and then we're jumping to like 33, no, 29. So just be ready for that jump. okay. <laughs> the word of the Lord. I ask them, did God reject his people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself. A descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. Did not God did God not reject no, God did not reject his people, whom he foreknew. Don't you know what Scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake, but as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Just as you, who were at one time disobedient to God, have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen.
1: Thank you, Pastor Ryan. Uh, appreciate you reading. Uh, one of the things that, um, that I remember from growing up as a, uh, as a kid in, in, in back home in Cape Town is that uh, we had to memorize scripture. Anybody had to do that growing up? Um, and we would get rewarded with little stars every Sunday, depending on how many scripture verses we would memorize. I have to confess that my teachers, my Sunday school teachers, had an awful time with me. Um, I tried to fudge things all the time. And I would not memorize it. Um, and then i try to cheat in Sunday school. It's not a good place to cheat, is it? Sunday school. <laughs> to try and cheat my way through it. But over time it caught and I started to memorize scripture. Now the thing is, most of the scripture I know of by heart and memorized is in Afrikaans. So I, you know, so it doesn't translate quite into English but most of the scripture I memorize as a child growing up is in Afrikaans. And one such scripture is Romans 11:33 to 36, which is called in the scriptures a doxology. Uh, another way of interpreting this, it brings to the end a section in the, in the, in the book of Romans and it is Paul way of kind of ending uh, not only an argument, but taking us through what it actually now means to be a part of the community of faith. This very scripture, which has just been read, um, I read on October the 5th, 1996, as I stood overlooking four caskets. Uh, It was on the day of my family's funeral. You you know my story, that my parents and younger siblings were killed in a car accident, and I was just a young, young, young man. (laughs) I was just in my early 20s, and I had just experienced the saving grace, transforming grace of God in my life. I'd grown up in the church a long time. Uh, all my life. I, I, I was a pastor's kid. Uh, they say the reason that You know, pastors' kids are bad is because they hang out with congregation kids. I don't know if that's true. Uh but I was certainly I was certainly certainly exposed to the church over and over and over. But I had at some point decided that I wouldn't walk with the Lord and dramatically my life changed about six months prior to this accident. And the only scripture that came to mind, I think there's something to be said for scripture memorization, is this particular scripture that at the point in time I had not studied any theology other than that which I got from the church. I, I found to be somewhat comforting because the doxology kind of affirms that God's ways are not my ways, that his ways are beyond my ways. In fact, the scripture is very, very, almost, almost at times feels aggressive because it challenges me to ask God questions. Who are you to ask God questions? Who are you to counsel God? You know, it does God owe you anything, but from him and through him and to him are all things. And yet in the moment of my loss and despair and searching for questions, this doxology seemed to be the only scripture i could hold on to and to this day i remember it now this morning i shared with our group and 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 as i shared that i'd remembered this doxology in afrikaans gary tried to make me recite it in afrikaans and when you think in english after all these years of being here and trying to recite again in afrikaans it was kind of a mishmash of words i i was thankful that there was no other afrikaans speaking people there because it didn't quite sound right but it became something that was significant to me in a time in which I needed hope. And as I obviously came to Canada and I started to study theology and I've gone to school and I'm just finishing part of my school now, I, I started to realize that there's much more to the doxology than perhaps even in those moments um, of loss that I understood. You see, this doxology occurs at the end of a a section that starts in chapter 9, but in chapter 11 in particular poses a very significant question. God had chosen a people to be his own, a people called Hebrew slaves who had become Israel. God had redeemed them, saved them, walked with them, been patient with them, been gracious with them, gave them the laws by which to live their lives, and yet somehow Israel more times than not could not live up to what it means to be God's people. And so the God goes a step further and, and presents to Israel not only the law but gives them the fulfillment of that law in a person called his son Jesus Christ. Just stay with me for a moment. And Jesus becomes the hope not only for Israel but for everybody. And so there's the sense in which uh, the hope that has been given, the grace that had been shown to Israel had not been reciprocated. They, they seem to miss... The very, very hope that is theirs from the beginning. And so when Paul writes Romans and he writes to a church in which perhaps there's tension between these new Gentile converts, those who were not previously included. You know, whenever you bring different groups together, there might be tensions. There might be different ways of thinking about things. And certainly, I'm, I mean, I think I'm downplaying it, but I think there were significant tensions in the early church, especially for those who had considered that they were God's chosen people as to how to respond to these others now, how to respond to new people. Sometimes in the church we have the same problem. Not yet Skyview, but the other churches, right? Sometimes we have a problem with how to make room for people that perhaps previously was not included. I think Canada as a whole, the West as a whole, is struggling with this. Would you agree with me? How do we actually make room for others in such a way that perhaps it doesn't threaten our own sense of security or our own way of doing things? On a personal level, as a church, as a community, as Canada grows, as Calgary grows in its diversity, not only in terms of ethnicity but socioeconomic status, in terms of different people groups, the question that I think is going to become more and more important for us as a church is how are we going to respond to people who perhaps are different to who we are. And so when Paul makes the point that this, this gospel as represented through Jesus Christ now transcends Israel, it's not, it's, it's, it's not just for, for Jewish people it is, it is a gospel that is open for everybody. There's a sense in which those who heard that may have not appreciated it. In fact, Paul makes such a strong argument earlier that he says, you've rejected this Christ, but this Christ is your hope and is now extended to Gentiles, and you are now the older brother in the story of the prodigal son. You are the one who has been chosen, you're a part of the family of God, but somehow you can't find it in your heart to accept that the father welcomed someone who ran out on him. Uh, In in fact, in chapters 9 through 11, uh, there's a tension repeatedly being drawn upon. It's between older and younger siblings. It's between Cain and Abel, between Ishmael and Isaac, between Esau and Jacob, between Joseph and his brothers. And in fact, the parable story in the Gospels is a great lens to perhaps give us a sense of what Romans 11 is talking about. Because what Paul is ultimately saying is this. Not only has God not abandoned Israel despite his grace and mercy shown to them, but that he is now using their disobedience as a means to draw people from the outside who was previously excluded into this new family. When I think about the story of the prodigal son, um, we've heard it preached in so many different ways, and it is a it is a it is a great story, isn't it? Some of us sitting here understand the story of the prodigal son from the one who's left and run from the one who's being naughty from the one who perhaps kind of defiantly tried to live life on their own terms, doing their own things. And so we resonate with the story on a personal level because we recognize if we have come to faith in Christ that we are the prodigal that has been welcomed back. But there's the other person in the story too, right? It's the one who did everything the right way or the chosen one, the older brother, who we also get a perspective from that when the grace of the father extends to the son who was knowingly Disobedient, that the older brother could not find it in his heart to have the same joy that was present within the heart of the father. And Paul, in talking to us about Jews and Gentiles, is speaking as a Jew from his own experience and saying that this God now, in his mercy from the beginning, in fact has destined not only israel to know him but all people to know him that this god is extending himself now as an act of mercy and using the very same people that jews had previously looked down on as a witness to jews so that they would too see in christ who he is. are you still tracking with me for a moment i think as i was preparing the sermon i thought to myself now why did i choose this text There's a lot more meaty text to choose. You know, fun text in the gospel. I could go back to the parable of the Good Samaritan. I love preaching on that. But why this text? I think this text, it's a lectionary text, by the way, so I'm preaching the lectionary through the summer. But this text challenges me as a person to perhaps, on a personal level, consider what does it mean to be the people of God... Not only in a growing diverse society and a growing diverse community, but what does it mean to be a people of God open to the possibility that those whom God are including by his grace may actually do something renewing in me? Let me ask it on a personal level. I think sometimes the way in which God renews the church is through bringing new believers into the body of faith. There's nothing more invigorating than that. When we remember our first love and we see the passion and the excitement in people who have just found Jesus Christ. There's something vital about that. In fact, the apostle Paul in Romans 11, when he's talking to the Jews and saying you were chosen but you've kind of become rusty and stale and rejected God. God is now grafting these Gentiles in like a gardener would graft in fresh shoots into an old bark. In fact, in ancient Israel, when an olive tree was discovered or when a gardener saw an olive tree that was not flourishing. And if the olive tree, its olive tree had a strong, robust trunk and yet there was no fruit on it, the the gardener would splice open the bark of that tree and from a cultivated olive tree that had fruit, take a shoot and stick it, literally stick it right into the bark and something miraculous would happen. That shoot would grow out of that bark and would transform the bark so that the tree becomes fruitful. And when the apostle Paul talks about these Gentiles included, he's saying to Jews, he's saying to the Jewish audience, when God included them, this is good for not only them, but it is good for you because God can do something great. He's in the business of bringing fruit where there has been no fruit. He's in the business of bringing life where there has been barrenness. And sometimes we may, like Paul, be speaking to, when we speak this kind of language to people who cannot fathom how on earth God does this. But you see, the apostle Paul sees the potential for the Gentiles to now reveal to Israel the very mercy of God. It is when the prodigal son runs away. Do you remember the story? You remember? Do, do I have to tell it again? He runs away, and in the scripture, if you followed closely, it says, and then he had this moment of realization. <laughs> and he said, you know, there's something about my father that makes me believe that even if I return to him, he's not going to push me away. He may at the very least... Take me in as a servant again. And when we hear that parable, I think it's what what Paul is saying. That the son in his disobedience that has been received back, that had this moment of repentance and realization who the father is, reveals to the older brother the heart of God. It is sometimes people on the outside that come to the saving grace of God that reminds the believing community that the God we serve is a God of mercy and deep compassion and love. It is a message that's needed today. A message that has to grip the hearts of Christians again. A message that says, this is the God who makes room for the prodigal. This is the God who makes room for the Gentile. This is the God that has made room for you and I. And there is sometimes a disconnect in the church, perhaps even today, between the mercy of God and the mercy of Christians. And yet, my friends, Paul says... That God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. That what he promised he would do. That not only did he not abandon Israel. But he has now through their disobedience brought more into the fold. And through them is witnessing back to Israel about who he is. I think today in the church. The image of an olive tree with a strong, robust trunk might be very, very appropriate. But could it be that as we look at that olive tree, we don't see as much fruit as we'd like to? We perhaps see a a tree that has all the potential, but for years now it hasn't quite produced and lived up to its potential. And you see, when I preached, when I used this particular text, Romans 11, 33 to 36, I stood in front of, I think I've told you this, thousands of people came to the funeral, you know? Um. And, 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 you know, uh, th- th- there was, there was 11 year olds. My, my, sister was 11 from her class. There were 17 year olds from my brother's class. There were people from different churches. My dad was a pastor and a district superintendent. There was all these people. And I, and, and I stood in front of them and I read the scripture. And I got to be honest with you, it was just a desperate plea to kind of say, God, I hope you know what you're doing because I don't know what's going on. And yet, when I understand it within the context of the scripture, here's what Paul is saying. As hard as it is to grasp how God can work through disobedience, To redeem people and through unlikely people to bring about his witness, he is God and he can do it. (laughs) So the Apostle Paul. He says oh the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out who has known the mind of the Lord who has been his counselor who has ever given to God that God should repay him but from him and through him and for him are all things to him be the glory forever amen it is this Christ who reconciles all men unto himself and he works in ways that often transcends my grasp and my understanding and all I can do at times in my own life as I stood in front of my family's caskets is what I'm doing before you today is to acknowledge that he is God is to thank him that he's not limited by my understanding. That he does not give in to my prejudice or my ways. That he, that he is not easily thwarted or discouraged by others. That he has more grace than I ever have. And that he somehow by his spirit tries to reincarnate within us this very same heart. This very same belief. This very same faith. That we may become such a people who represent him in such a world. Oh how I long for more fresh shoots to be grafted in to the existing bark. You see, Paul in Romans 11 warns that fresh shoots like the Gentiles, as he equates them, are are great to bring life, but he also says to the Gentiles, you you need something robust to be part of. (laughs) You see, as much as fresh shoots can bring life, we also need those who, who perhaps can help growth and develop and nurture. We know that God is ultimately the gardener, but I think there's something that happens, and I, I'm not a... Is the word botanist, would that be the correct word for people who work with plants? Teachers in front of saying yes. So I don't know all the technical things, but I do know this, that when apparently as I was reading, and, and I was reading some good scholars on this, so I think it's legitimate. Because <laughs> you can go online and get all kinds of stuff, right? I don't do my research on Wikipedia is what I'm saying. So... So you take a shoot and you graft it into an existing bark, a tree. What happens is is that shoot becomes a part of it. I think there's something remarkable of what God can do. You know, he's not simply suggesting, as, as Paul is teaching here, that That God kind of likes them. And then he likes them. And then he does something here. And he does something here. But he's saying that God somehow brings together. And makes a people out of a people. Who were not a people before. It seems to me. That the kind of work we're talking about here is the work that only God can do. That God can form for himself a community of believers that represent in this world, and I've preached this repeatedly to you, but this is the text, this is the scripture, that God is able to form for himself a people that becomes a witness in this world to what only God can do by his mercy and grace. Because this God is the one who is able in his mercy to make fruitful that which has been unfruitful. This is the God in His mercy who is able to bring life out of death. This is the God who stands with His arms wide open and welcomes back the prodigal and says, There's always been room for you. This is the God who never gave up on Israel. And this is the God who does not give up on us. You see, I think. That the scripture begs different questions. I think one of the questions is to ask ourselves the question. Are we the shoot or are we a part of the bark? Are we in need of the grace of God to do the work that only he can do within us. So that our lives again would testify. To the vitality that comes through God's spirit. Do you not long for this church to reach people who have not yet known Jesus. Do we not long to be a church that are known not only by our name and not only by our witness but by the evidence of God at work within the church? Do you not long to see in your own life evidence that God is changing and growing up things in you that you know only he could do. See, I'm, I'm convinced that, that I've tried to change myself with good spiritual therapy. You know, I, I've done, Gary, I've done the IKEA Christianity. I want patience, so I'm going to buy myself a box that I will assemble that says Patience only to find that when I open that box and I look at the instructions and it's in Swedish or whatever it is, and I go, I don't know how to do this. Or I may even get the right instructions, go after it in my spiritual fervor and find out that it doesn't produce what I'd hoped. There are some things which I believe more and more. Romans 11 teaches us only the God who is able to bring, do, and be all things can do in us and in me. And the evidence of such work... Is a tree that is fruitful. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that you are the one who can do what we cannot do in our strategies and in our planning. This does not diminish the calling you've placed upon us. In fact, it places a deeper sense of faith and trust, a deeper need for prayer and discernment. It it requires that we as leaders and as each, every person who confesses Jesus Christ as Lord, to pray the prayer that the Apostle Paul prays. Oh, the depth, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Your ways are sometimes not our ways. Your judgments goes beyond our searching. Your paths are sometimes not ours. And yet, Father, we trust in you. Along with Paul, we affirm that from you and through you and to you are all things. You are God and you are worthy of all praise. Give us eyes to see the ways in which you are working in lives within community here at Skyview. Lord, I, I pray that by your spirit, you would you would take any conviction that may come to someone's heart today and, and just water it by your spirit to say that I'm still in the redeeming business. I'm still in the growing business. I can still do what needs to be done. I pray, Father, that you would put in our lives as a community those amongst us who will remind us of vibrant faith, remind us of the passion that once gripped us as we lived for you. I pray that you would renew within all of our hearts the sense that we are a part of something greater than just ourselves or our ethnicity or where we come from, but we have become a part of the family of God, this family that may witness in this world to the true saving grace of Jesus Christ. May Skyview continue to reflect reflect the fruitfulness that comes, because you are God. And on the personal level, I pray for those amongst us, for whom your Holy Spirit desires to renew, to strengthen, and to encourage That we would now in these moments not forsake the opportunity to lean into the arms of grace. To in faith believe that as we ask you, you would come, you would fill, you would renew. In Jesus' name I pray.
0: Amen. Would you pray a psalm with me in response to the message we've heard? Um, I'm going to pray in Psalm 90, these words of Moses. And I feel like this is your, your chance to participate in the, in this. If you're not really into singing, you can talk. If you're not really into talking, I'd suggest you could come at the altar and, and kneel, or you could stand. But... Um, I'm going to give you a cue if you want to like fill in the blank. If I say, "Lord, have mercy," if you respond, "Christ, have mercy," that'd be one way you could participate with me. Um, shall we pray? Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. You were here before here was here. And you've given us this place to share with each other. And we're thankful for this place to meet with you. But you continue to be our home. Lord, have mercy. You turn us back to dust and say, turn back, you mortals. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, or like a watch in the night. You sweep them away. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. Lord, we are not like you. You are permanent, you are constant, you are unchanging, and we're temporary. You are faithful, and we so often are not faithful, Father. Would you make us like you, Lord, have mercy. For we are consumed by your anger. By your wrath, we are overwhelmed. You have said our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. For all our days pass away under your wrath. Our years come to an end like a sigh. The days of our life are 70 years, or perhaps 80, if we are strong. Even then, their span is only toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Father, we have sinned against you. You know better than we do our brokenness and our foolishness and our frailty. Would you forgive us these iniquities, these sins, these mistakes, these frailties. And would you teach us your ways? Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Who considers the power of your anger? Your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. So teach us to count our days so that we may gain a wise heart. Lord, you've promised to give wisdom to all who ask. And today we're asking... Would you give us wisdom to live well and to love well in our building project, in raising children, in seeking work, in navigating workplace challenges? Lord, in in seeking to be faithful to you together, we need your wisdom. Lord, have mercy.
1: Christ, have mercy.
0: Turn, O Lord. How long? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love so that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad as many days as you have afflicted us and as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be manifest to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and prosper for us the work of our hands. O prosper the work of our hands. Amen.